You are Locked On Padres. Your daily San Diego Padres podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to an edition of Lockdown Padres Podcast, which is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day for Monday, April 18th. As always, I'm your host with sometimes, occasionally, but certainly not always the most, Javier Reyes. You may <laughs> you may be familiar with some of my baseball-related work at places like Baseball FYI, Friars on Base, or Off the Bench Baseball, or Just Baseball, to which I'm a staff writer for. You can follow me on Twitter at Javapena, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres, or of course, subscribe to the YouTube to find out why I was laughing, because at the very beginning of the podcast, I was doing some antics with my arms. That's what I try to do on the video format, all right? I try to give you a reason to tune into the video format. Anyway, I guess go check that out. Uh, on today's episode, guys, of course, as always, thank you for making Lockdown Padres your hashtag first listen. We're free and available on all platforms. On today's podcast, it's a good old weekend update. Hold on, that is probably trademarked. It is a good old weekend recap, I should say. Shout out Saturday Night Live. I know a lot of people give it crap, but every now and then it makes me laugh. Every now and then. When I see the little bits on Twitter. We're going to be talking about a very special series against the defending champion Atlanta Braves. Giving my thoughts on each game and most importantly... The starting pitching starts because that is really where the star power came for the Padres. They end up um, splitting the series against the Braves, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they end up splitting the series against the Braves. Friday's podcast, I will say, guys, unfortunately, video app I use, the video didn't save. It it saved, but the audio wasn't there. So hopefully you were able to listen to the audio version of the podcast because it was a great one. I was losing my mind. I was so amped. It was one of the best days of the season that, um, that Thursday. I should say it was awesome heading into the Friday with Mackenzie Gore, who we're going to talk about right now. On Friday, a little bit of a tough transition there, I understand. But on Friday, the San Diego Padres lost to the Atlanta Braves 5-2. Kyle Wright shut them down. Nine strikeouts for Kyle Wright. And then 11-2-13. It was like 16 strikeouts by Padres players. It was not good. A three-strikeout game from Jorge Alfaro. A two-strikeout game from the first baseman who must not be named. Luke Voigt had three Ks, which was unfortunate. Jake Cronenworth. Rare, a rare game for him had three strikeouts and then two for Trent Grisham, who I'm still a little bit worried about, even though he does have a little bit of a moment uh, in Saturday's game. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the big thing of this game was Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore, for Padres fans who have been following the team for a while, has been, dare, dare I say, if not for the guy at first base, he might be the one who would be the cursed name. Not because of how he's played, in fairness, but just because of how much gravity how much of a story how much of a weird arc Mackenzie Gore has had to get to this position this is a guy that when I first started doing this podcast which was February of 2020 was the top pitching prospect in all of baseball and he kind of remained that way and then we had of course the pandemic breakout and then things were going the minor leagues went off and then later on when he starts going in, in minor league ball He's out for like months with an injury that we still don't totally are not fully sure what happened. And even more importantly, started pitching poorer. He started walking a lot of hitters, giving up a lot of big hits. The strikeout rate stuff was kind of there. The pitches were there, but just in a funk and everyone's like, what happened? And all of a sudden going from the top pitching prospect to not just falling behind Grayson Rodriguez of the Baltimore Orioles uh, for the top spot among pitching prospects, but just falling in some instances outside the top 100. It was so weird. And then, and then finally, 
Finally, he starts picking up a little bit. People I talked to said he had a little bit of a leg kick problem. Figures that out, gets some of the confidence back, starts pitching a little bit better towards the end of the stretch, and then has a really great electric spring training for the Padres, which was awesome, including some promising signs where the velocity on all of his pitches went up. That was really fun. Uh, We're going to be talking about that in a second, too, with not just the curveball slider and changeup, but also his fastball. And his fastball was supposed to be his weakest, in quotes, pitch because it wasn't like a high-velocity pitch and whatnot. And then everyone started getting excited, pitched well in spring training, and then his lone AAA start before getting called up from El Paso. Five innings, only two hits, seven strikeouts, no runs, no walks, everything. Everyone was like, okay, maybe he's back. So that's the whole arc of Mackenzie Gore. And here we are now, and he pitches to a final line that isn't great, but it certainly isn't bad. Final line for Mackenzie Gore in his Padres debut, he goes five and a third, uh, walking two, striking out three, allowing two earned runs uh, on the night, only three hits. And in my opinion, man, considering all that I just broke down, considering everything that I just broke down, and against the Atlanta Braves, the defending World Series champions, it's a pretty damn good start. A pretty damn good start, if you ask me. The control looked there. I know he walked two batters, but the control looked there. That was what I liked. And it was just kind of a consistent start. He didn't look too afraid. Yes, Ozzy Albies jumped on him. Guess what? Ozzy Albies is a very, very aggressive hitter. Last time I checked, he's not a guy that loves to walk a lot, but man, does he hit for average and man, does he hit for power. And he's only 25 years old, so he's an aggressive hitter. That's just what's going to happen. And I remember actually first pitch of the game. Gore throws a fastball, uh, like somewhat like on on, in, on the inside corner. Albie swings on the first pitch. I'm like, if anyone was gonna say, I'm not letting you get comfortable. I know this is young one. I know you're trying to get up there and just get one in there for a strike to start off your major league career. Calm down the nerves. Nope, not even gonna let you do that. Of course, it ends up getting pulled foul, but it doesn't surprise me at all that Albie's takes him deep in this. But for the most part, wasn't giving up too much hard contact. I don't think there was any luck there. The only thing I will say is the pitch mix. Wasn't necessarily there. Uh, He had, on the night, he threw 53 fastballs compared to 9 curveballs, 7 sliders, and 4 changeups. Not the worst mix in the world, but it had a little bit of like, eh, okay. I was a little bit, I was a little bit surprised there. And again, this could be a game flow thing. I mean, it's the guy's first career start, so it's hard to read into numbers like this and just totally you know, be on it. And I know everyone's going to be talking about Hunter Green of the Cincinnati Reds, who had an unbelievable start where he was just throwing 100 mile per hour balls every single pitch. And it wasn't until Trey Turner took him deep. Uh, You know, I'm not doing any Dodger loving or anything that, you know, he finally gave up like the big hit, right? So that was impressive. But to me, I thought this was great for the 23 year old. I know the strikeout numbers weren't through the roof. I know the whiff numbers weren't through the roof. Out of the 55, Fastballs, he threw only five whiffs on those, 31 swings. So guys were still trying to go for it. But, again, it could be a game flow thing. The strategy for the Padres that night could have been, we want you to try throwing the fastball a lot tonight. We'll leave the curve, slider, and change up for another outing. We don't know. We're going to probably see him start again until Blake Snell comes out. But in my opinion, for a guy who's had such a weird go of things, it was a pretty solid debut, and we're going to see. Because as time goes on, teams will have more information. Teams will be different. There'll be different teams that maybe like to jump on fastballs more, have the type of hitters who do better against fastballs. I don't know all the details and specifics. But for a first start, I, I thought it was pretty good. I don't think it wiped me off the face of the earth. But uh, only giving up three hits, 
Bottom line is that's pretty good, even if you weren't striking out too many batters. Mackenzie Gore going to be one of the lightning rod fun things to watch for the next month or so, or however long Blake Snell is injured, for sure. And maybe, depending on how things go, might be a focal point of the rotation, right? Might be a fixture, I should say, in the rotation, depending on how Snell and Mike Clevenger uh, deal with their health stuff. But now, guys, you know, that's that's on the future, right? And, and that's going to be making bets on the future. And when it comes to making bets, all right, bet online. They're your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, from live betting to playoffs to esports, esports and video games, all that sort of stuff, stuff that the New York Times pretend doesn't exist. Uh, and more, guys. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and Action, bet online, where the game starts. And of course, just to remind you guys, thank you for making Locked On Padres your hashtag first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. So now let's talk about Saturday's game. Um, Saturday's game was a little bit less to do with the pitching versus, you know, Friday's was all about Mackenzie Gore, who we might even touch on again at the end of the show. Because I was just so excited about that. But Saturday's game was a little depressing. It was another 5-2 loss for the Padres. Same exact score, which I actually didn't realize until I was looking at it. Um, Same exact score, except the difference was it was Ian Anderson pitching for the Braves. And it was Nick Martinez getting a start for the Padres. And yes, I know he gave up some hard contact in this one. A bunch of home runs. The Braves got very swing happy. Uh, in this game, he gave up a bunch of home runs in the same inning, if I'm not mistaken. In the fifth and sixth inning, he gave up one to Matt Olson, to Marcelo Zuna, and hold on, and to Ozzy Albies in the first inning. My, my apologies. It was the first inning, the Ozzy Albies home run. Albies just having a heck of a time right now, apparently. He's a new Padres killer. And then Ozuna and then Matt Olson. Hey, those are good hitters. It's okay. But for the most part, final line for Nick Martinez wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't that great, but I don't think it was that bad when you consider what I have been saying on this podcast for a long time. First, let me just remind you of the line. He went five innings in this one, giving up four earned runs on seven hits, walking four and striking out three, so that wasn't great. He did walk more batters than he did strike out. You never want to see that, but it's the Braves, and here's my thing on Nick Martinez, which I've been saying a lot, and I've been... You know, someone came at me in the comments months ago that I've been joking might be a family relative of Nick Martinez because his last name was literally Martinez in the YouTube comments. For me, Nick Martinez doesn't have to be some ace. I don't even need to be him to be that great. But if he can just be a good fifth quality starter, and I said this a while ago, uh, back in 2020 about Zach Davies, who was a pitcher that I really liked for the Padres to acquire that year, in as well as in the Trent Grisham trade, if I'm not mistaken. Because I liked it because my thing was, as your fourth or fifth guy, I'll take it. Let's buy on that sort of guy, right? For Nick Martinez, I am a little bit worried about the contract in the sense that it's a very not team-friendly contract. Not for, hey, Nick Martinez, make your money and do whatever you want, right? But for Nick Martinez, it was kind of like, okay, so if he has an atrocious year, he can opt in. And then we still have to keep him on the team and whatnot. And if he has a great year, then he can opt out. And then we have to worry about, oh, no, maybe we can't bring him back. And he just gets to go to another team. So it was very weird that many years the four-year deal, uh, having all these opt-outs. That was a little bit weird. And I also thought it was weird that I thought there was other interesting options. I liked Tyler Anderson. I liked both Alex Cobb and Alex Wood. I know it's easy to say that because they're on the Giants now and they look great. But 
I really did go back and play the episodes. I thought those guys were really, really interesting back end rotation guys. I talked about Verlander as well, I think at one point, but Verlander was like so clearly probably going to go back to the Astros. He had an unbelievable game too, by the way, going eight innings over the weekend. Guys, that guy's a cyborg. Like, don't underestimate the guy who's been out for a while, basically having time to kind of recover, uh, coming back for one last maybe go of it. But anyway, um, in terms of his pitch mix, I thought he looked okay. Uh, I thought I liked that he used a fastball, changeup, curveball, sinker, cutter, an almost not equal amount of time, but a pretty close to equal amount of time as opposed to Gore. But, uh, you know, gave up some hits. This is going to happen. I'm not expecting Nick Martinez to come out here and be a 3-5 ERA guy and give us 200 strikeouts this year. I'm just not expecting it. But can he give us a solid fifth rotation sort of, you know, start? Sure. As the fifth guy in rotation, I'm totally cool with Nick Martinez doing what he did the other day. Instead, this game was yet again about the offense. And I know you guys might be wondering, oh, let me guess. He He's ready to proclaim and give credit to the good team. I'm really not in this case. I thought that the Padres offense was rather anemic for the most part this weekend. And I don't think it was all just Braves pitching. Logan Webb, I do truly believe is incredible. I do think the Giants pitching is, is rough. But Ian Anderson, a guy that you should be able to hit a little bit against. And in this game, the Padres got carved up five and two-thirds inning for Anderson, only two hits, and he struck out seven. And then Colin McHugh came in to kind of be a little bit of a, they sometimes use him as a long reliever, but they didn't this time, instead of giving up uh, only one hit over one inning, striking out two. The only highlight of the night was a Trent Grisham home run, which was nice to see. He also drew a walk on the night, but two strikeouts from Manny, three from Luke Voigt again. So all of a sudden, Luke Voigt's strikeout rate, probably on the Savant page, because we're early on the season, just goes through the roof. Uh, two for the first baseman. Not great, right? Uh, not too great. And, you know, for C.J. Abrams, same sort of th- same sort of thing, going 0 for 3 with a strikeout. Abrams clearly not looking lost at the plate the way I think Luis Campizano did um, when he first got called up by the Padres, but clearly just adjusting to major league pitching, adjusting to being hit with a lot of that overpowering stuff and a lot of velocity and a lot of vertical inches and stuff on fastballs, I think especially. But, you know, he's a rookie. I think a lot of you guys at 21 years old, unless you are being like proclaimed as Bryce Harper, you know what I'm saying? It's very rare that someone gets called up this early where it's actually a little bit of a disappointment if they don't hit you know, above 250 or something like that, right? Like, I think Bryce Harper was an exception. I think Harper was one when he came up, we were like, oh my God. I think Wander Franco, I think that there are some out there, the young ones, when they get called up immediately, you're like, yeah, this guy might just be good to start. I don't know if Abrams had that vibe to him. I think Abrams is a long-term, or at least a little bit longer term of a guy. Again, we'll see how it pans out. But Grisham, glad he shut me up. I made a tweet um, at some point, I think it was this past week, saying I'm just not seeing it from him. I'm still not. I am still worried about him, but I did like the opposite field home run for him. That was very, very good. He certainly has power. He certainly has the hit tool. But I've always wondered, have pitchers kind of figured out that those inside stuff, I just I just don't see it from him. He is a good player. But is he going to do what we thought he was going to do based on 2020? The 250, 350, 400 slugging with good gold glove defense and good speed. Like, the, the kind of guy who's... Never going to get all the acclaim, but he's a really solid player that will really pan out. Instead, what if he's just good, you know? And I'm a little bit worried about that. Hey, I'm a little bit worried about if, 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 the, if the good thing is possible when it comes to a batting perspective. He did also make a great catch, I will say. Um, I believe it was on Saturday. On Saturday, that was great. And usually he has trouble 
um, catching balls. Kevin AC had a good tweet about this as well. You know, kind of pacing towards the outfield with the wall behind him, making those leaping grabs. Sometimes Grisham's biggest strength is just the range factor. Sometimes messes on those giant diving catches and whatnot. Didn't make a great catch there. So that was nice, and that was cool. Um, And we should probably expect moments like that from Trent Grisham. Certainly not giving up, but my big overreaction of the season so far is definitely my number one is Trent Grisham, and I'm concerned. I really am. I really am. We're going to see how it pans out. I broke that down on uh, Friday's audio podcast. Again, wasn't a video one for it. Sorry for my YouTube viewers, but that's how it went. Otherwise, Luke Voigt on the season, he's batting 176, but 349 on base. He has been uh, walking a lot, with the exception of these last two games where he just decided to strike out a ton. I think he's due for some power, and we're probably going to see it. Now, I will say this. I was actually chatting with my, my mama watching the game, and she's a Yankees fan. And her thing was like, do you ever get worried when you trade with certain teams that like have a decent reputation? And then you're like, wow, we really got that, that player for nothing. I kind of was like, mm, yeah, maybe the Yankees, could they have known something about Luke Voigt? I don't think so. I think it was more that Voigt couldn't play defense, and they just didn't have room for him. And they decided, let's get Rizzo, who might be a really good player who's going to give us good walk stuff. He's going to play a really great first base and just we'll see more pitches and play better in Yankee Stadium. I think it was more of that than them saying, oh, something's wrong with Voigt. But it is a fair thing to note. Maybe was I too high on Luke Voigt? I don't think so. I still think taking a, a flyer on a guy who hit for power and has had good on-base skills before is perfectly fine, especially with the position the Padres are in. So hopefully he does better. As the season goes on, and hopefully the rest of the Padres' offense does better, they are miserable with runners in scoring position. Jerickson Profar should not be one of the leaders on the team in home runs. <laughs> you know what I mean? That should not be what's going on here. If I'm not mistaken, he might be the leader of home runs right now. He has he has three on the year with nine ribbies, 269 average. So shout out to Profar uh, for sure. But uh, don't don't love that. Don't love that from uh, the Padres so far. Uh, he homered in this game. Yeah, he homered in this game, and so did Trent Grisham. Two solo shots, but that was basically it. That was basically it. Now, before we get into Sunday's game, which was very, very interesting in its own right, guys, let me talk to you something that is also very interesting. In, in fact, it's scintillating, guys. You like that word? Good ACT word. Uh, guys, I need to talk to you about Built Bars. Best protein bars on the market. And the protein bars, like I said... So that means they're healthy for you. Check out the macros, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Bang. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs, and you are thriving. You're thriving. And on top of that, the reason why I like Built Bars so much is the flavors, right? They, they taste good, right? And granted, maybe you might be saying, oh, okay, man, like... Yeah, of course you're going to tell me it tastes good, right? But what I love is that they have a flavor for whatever kind of mood you're in. They've got white chocolate cookies and cream, right? Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, uh, apple almond crisp, my personal favorite, coconut brownie chunk. They even have an eggnog and gingerbread flavor. They have all, like, a ton, a metric ton of flavors. So you guys should check that out, guys. And because you were listening to this, go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Remember that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, guys, let's keep moving now. But first, just one swig of water real quick. Ah, Stay hydrated, everybody. Anyway, last game of the set, the Padres end up winning 
which is great. Uh, and it was actually a game that I was kind of curious, and I actually watched the K-Rod cast, which I'm going to maybe touch on a little bit at the end. But uh, in this game, the Padres end up winning 2-1. It was a true pitcher's duel, you could say. I don't know if it was pitcher's duel, because for the if you just look at the Braves, Bryce Elder, if you just look at his, his stat line, two hits, two earned runs, five walks, and three strikeouts, uh... The Padres, once again, their offense was floundering. They were hitting into double plays. Profar hit into a double play in this one, if I'm not mistaken. Granted, yeah, he hit into a double play in this one. It was just not really fun to see. Grisham did draw three walks, which is very nice and should boost his on-base percentage a bit. Love to see that. Austin Nola gets a walk as well. He gets an RBI because he gets hit by a pitch. That's right. The big inning for this game for the Padres was actually... Involving a whole bunch of walks and whatnot. And I almost got a little bit distracted because I was watching the K-Rod cast as someone who's just a media connoisseur and who's curious. It started out with a Hassan Kim single, then a C.J. Abrams single, then a Grisham walk. Nola gets hit by a pitch, and then Cronenworth grounds into a fielder's choice, which allows another runner to score. Ends up being the difference maker in the game. Here's what I will say. Jake Cronenworth low-key. Low-key, I, I, I don't think it's as low-key anymore. Batting average, not that great. On basis, fine. I really am not concerned at all, at all, with Jay Cronenworth. I just think he's in a weird early slump to start the season. But his on-base skills are fine, and I think he's still swinging at the ball pretty well. He's not missing too many pitches. Just in a weird little funk to start the season. He hasn't quite been battering the ball as much as we're used to. And I think he's going to be fine. I really do. He actually was the DH in this game to, um, to make up for Voight, uh, which I thought was interesting. The lineup decisions, I think, have been perfectly fine for the Padres this year. I like that Hassan Kim and Trent Grisham, or not Trent Grisham, CJ Abrams, both play in this game. One for two for Abrams, obviously, and one for three for Kim. And Kim, by the way, in the early going, high on base percentage, 353, uh, not counting this game. Um, but still, that goes up a little bit. I do like that. Kim, who I'm probably going to talk about on tomorrow's podcast, as well as CJ Abrams, just a little bit of an episode on them, as well as recapping. Um, today's game by the time you guys are listening to this uh, going to be recapping tonight's game and talking about Abrams slash uh, Kim in my article that recently went up on just baseball but uh, in this game not much to talk about except for a very very important bounce back start for you Darvish six and two-thirds innings four hits only one earned run on a bomb from Marcelo Zuna who we don't have to talk about exactly, no walks, eight strikeouts. And on top of that, because his ERA, after the previous outing, this man's ERA, holy dear Lord, first against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I talked about this on the podcast, by the way. I did talk about that. I didn't think Darvish, yes, I know he had the no-hitter going into the six and they ended up taking him out, but I actually didn't think he looked that great. And I did say this, and I was on record about saying this, that even though he didn't give up any runs, I thought Musgrove looked a lot better. And then you saw against San Francisco. Again, I'm not saying I could have predicted that much, but I did think, eh, he was giving up a lot of hard balls here. It's against Arizona, not a great lineup. I was like, okay, he looked okay. He was good. He was good. He was certainly good. But I was a little bit worried. And then against San Fran, gets absolutely crushed. Only one and two-thirds, you guys probably know this. Eight hits, nine earned runs. And then the whole unwritten rules fiasco ends up happening later on in that game. But then bouncing back against this Braves lineup. And aside from that Marcelo Zuna hit, what I was looking at, hard, hard hit balls were going for singles and stuff. There weren't a lot of like luck involved in this game. right? It's not like the Braves were bashing balls all over the place and they just happened to go foul or end up being pop-outs or line-outs or whatever or just vice versa. It didn't feel like Darvish was getting lucky. And most importantly, 
generating a lot of whiffs on his pitch mix. Darvish's pitch mix is something that I am always watching for. One, because it's entertaining as hell, to be honest with you. And two, because sometimes I fear, does he tinker too much? And that's been a critique. You guys can go look up athletic articles about that, right? Go look up just baseball articles about that. It's really fascinating. One by Andy McCullough, who I had on the show a while ago, that one of the things with him is, does Darvish actually tinker too much? In this game, he actually threw his cutter the most, followed by the four-seam fastball, sinker, slider, splitter, knuckle curve, and one curveball for good measure. And across all those pitches, he generated 16 whiffs, which I think was great. That was fantastic. Braves hitters were being fooled a lot, and that's what happens with Darvish sometimes. Yes, he is giving up some hard-hit stuff, and yes, those balls can go really far, but sometimes he's going to fool guys. And at this age, that's really important, right? Especially when you feel like you're losing some velocity on some of your pitches and might not have the same stuff. But four-seam fastball, I, th- I thought carried really well. The cutter was great. And if there was, is one thing about Darvish, is he's hopefully going to have games like this. I was texting my friend that I fear, uh, is it possible that you, Darvish, is going to be this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde pitcher this year? Where he's going to have the Diamondbacks and Atlanta Braves type of starts, especially the Braves start, but then also have a San Fran start. And if you look at ever since the Sticky Stuff ban took place, that was a big concern amongst all Friar Faithful homies and all baseball homies, really, because Darvish is a really likable player. I mean, he's been in the league for a while, was this huge, highly touted prospect. Of course, he ended up failing a little bit with the Dodgers in the World Series, but what we know about that series with 2017, what we now know about the Astros, that's viewed very interestingly now in a different regard, but I think Darvish is super likable. So I think that's been a thing. Seeing him have all these different pitches, he's even had a couple tweets before that have been funny. I think Darvish is is still a guy that I'm worried about. But to be honest with you, I'm worried about Trent Grisham more when it comes to Padres stuff. I'm just worried that we might have expected a little bit too much from Grisham. Again, overreaction, but Darvish is a guy that it won't surprise me either way. You know, like, no matter how he pitches, I won't be sort of surprised because I am worried about the Sticky Stuff ban. But then when he goes out there and makes the Atlanta Braves look foolish, he just might be one of those guys. I wish I had another pitcher off the top of my head that was, you know, like a guy who one time looked amazing. What was his name? Oh, what's his name? He was on Philly last year. Oh, what's his name? He's a guy on Philly that for years you would pick him up in fantasy baseball because he would be awesome one start and terrible the next. He was like a little bit of an all-star last year on Texas. I'm going to see if I could find it really quickly. Um, let me see if I find the pitchers here. Kyle Gibson. There you go. Who, who's actually had like a decent start for the, the Phillies. But like, just for example, I'm literally looking at start right now. To start off the season, he had set, he went seven innings, only gave up two hits, no, no earned runs, no walks, 10 strikeouts. And then the next start against Miami, which is a little of an offense, goes four and two-thirds, four earned runs, three walks, six Ks. I remember how maddening he was to have in, like, fantasy baseball. Where it'd be like, he would do that crap all the time on the Twins. I'm telling you. So hopefully Darvish doesn't go the full way of Kyle Gibson. But what I'm saying is it wasn't wouldn't totally surprise me if he becomes a guy that's like, oh, it's bad Darvish today, or oh, it's good Darvish today. This is great. We're having fun. I thought he looked great. I thought the Padres offense was it seemed to blow open in the Thursday game on the best the home opener and all that. Otherwise, I was a little bit like, okay, but at the same time, same way I said I wouldn't be surprised if Darvish had some bad starts. I'm also not gonna be surprised if the Padres offense doesn't always come through. You got some guarantees. 
and Cronenworth and Machado, as far as I'm concerned. You have some guys that you hopefully think, you know, bounce back with Trent Grisham. And then you have some guys that I think can be really interesting X-Factors with Hassan Kim and C.J. Abrams. You have some black holes, unfortunately, in the offense with guys like Will Myers, who recently, I think, sprained his, his thumb, had a little bit of a thumb injury, so he wasn't playing on Saturday or Sunday. But you have a black hole in Myers, and you certainly have a black hole with the first baseman, who must not be named. The master of the dark arts, some might even call him. Um, but, hey, that's cool. Uh, my last t- kind of take on all this is... Number one, two last last two takes of the podcast. Number one, I know Manny Machado after the Thursday opener made a comment where he was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to be happy. I'm gonna, I'm going to be a very upset man if they trade this guy." My response to that was kind of what I said when they first tried to trade him to the Mets in the first place, and the Padres clubhouse reportedly was like annoyed by that and wanted to stay. That there's clearly a disconnect between the front office and what the players think, and it also means that yeah. You're allowed as a fan to be like, well, I mean, if you guys just like him, that's one thing. But if the production isn't there, us fans are going to look at this and be like, well, do you care about winning? So that's a little bit of an interesting thing. And with the Padres' first baseman, didn't have a big weekend. He actually had a mistake on Friday after Machado made a great snag at third base diving. He wasn't able to scoop the ball. In fairness, he had done a lot of good scoops at first base for the majority of the year so far. But again... Guys, I know he had a fun couple first two series. But remember, his fly ball rate, currently I actually tweeted this. This took place, by the way, before um, today's or last night's game. Sorry for the mix-up there. Uh, in terms of the ground ball rates uh, in baseball, you know, Hosmer. Oh, oh, I messed up. Oh, no. Oh, I messed up. I messed up. I messed up. I messed up. I'm so sorry. Cut it, cut it. It didn't have. I need to say the full name, so it sort of doesn't count. Uh, the lowest fly ball rates in baseball before last night's game. He leads with an 8.3 percent. That is the lowest fly ball rate in all of baseball, followed by Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Nathaniel Lowe, Randy Rosarena, and Nick Madrigal, who never hits for power ever. So that just shows you what kind of company he's in. So he needs to pick up that fly ball rate, and I need to pick up keeping my bit together. Hopefully, hopefully not everybody listened this far, I guess you could say. And then my last take, guys, before I um, kind of hold up on this, is excited for the Red Series. And also, K-Rod cast, not terrible. I just think it's not good if you really care about the teams that are playing. Because I literally got lost in translation when, like, Chris Mad Dog Russo was on. But if you're just kind of wanting to hang out, hear people nerd out about baseball, even if they aren't the best necessary personalities with Michael K and Alex Rodriguez, I think that they're a little bit old-fashioned in some ways, especially A-Rod, and they were talking about analytics and this stuff, and I don't know if they were as fun. I feel like there are some other fun personalities out there you could have gotten instead, but bringing in guests, bringing in Jeff Passon, bringing in Stephen Kwan, who's been a really big kind of outbreak prospect for Cleveland this year, I really I really enjoyed that part, and just kind of having fun and just having something else with a game in the background. But if you really care about the teams, my takeaway is, yeah, the K-Rod cast might not totally work, but then again, it's something different, and if you if your critique is, oh well, I I don't like this. They're not showing the they're not talking about the game enough. Well, they have the ESPN broadcast. You know what I mean? I like having the option, and we're gonna see how the ratings do for it uh, for the future. Whether or not this clearly uh, trying to capture the the Manning cast love that occurred with football this year, whether or not they're able to replicate that, we'll see. Probably not. But if they're able to do good ratings, I'm curious to see how that kind of evolves in the future. And on tomorrow's podcast. I'm actually going to put this down. Going to give my thoughts on the Apple TV broadcast. Because why not? It'll be a little bonus treat. 
right? A little bit of a bonus treat for you guys. Um, because why not? Because why not? And yeah, that about does it, guys, for today's episode. Be sure to go check out the Locked On MLB podcast hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan, but please call him Sully. All right, he talks about baseball, both past and present. He has a lot of wrong takes, but a lot of really great and fun takes as well. I've been listening to him for a really long time, so go check that out, guys. In terms of the future of this podcast, on tomorrow's episode, going to be breaking down whatever happens in tonight's game against the Cincinnati Reds. That should be fun. Top prospect for the Reds, Nick Lodolo, should be pitching in this game, so I'm just curious to see how he does. Hopefully the Padres can say, hey, welcome to the big leagues, and make him pay, as well as us. We've got Sean Manaya pitching, so, so far, Padres pitching, man. We're killing it. Just bring in the runners. All right, come on. Bring in some runners. Luke Voigt, we need you, man. I love the walks, but where's the power, man? Come on, give us the power. All right, we're going to be talking about all of that, and I'm also going to be talking a little bit about my Hassan Kim and CJ Arams article over on Just Baseball. And then for Wednesday, going to be breaking down more games, going to do lineup comparisons, and then also going to be doing a crossover with Locked On Reds host Jeff Carr uh, later in the week. So that should be a lot of fun, guys. And then we play the Dodgers after that, so... Lord knows. Big week, guys. Every week's going to be get big, but especially at the beginning of the season, let's keep letting the good times roll and keep the faith. And with that all being said, guys, that about does it for today's edition of the Lockdown Padres podcast, the only pod that may be better than the Padres themselves. Remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Follow me on Twitter at Javapeno, J-A-V-I-I-P-E-N-O, or at L-O underscore Padres. Lockdown Padres on YouTube. And until next time. Stay safe and, of course, stay faithful. Our fire faithful homies, take care.